Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 41 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Well, this Saturday, February 26th, would have marked the opening of spring training for many Major League Baseball teams, signaling once again the start of the baseball season. But there will be no spring training this season. This lockout has been pushed so far that we now have an official date that will cancel regular season games if a deal is not met by then. If a deal isn't reached on Monday, February 28th, just four days away, regular season games will start to be canceled. Many are speculating that the MLB will have a similar season to the 2020 COVID season when only 60 games were played. Hopefully, this season won't be shortened that much, but it does mean that a deal will have to be hammered out sooner than later. Regardless of the fate of the season, various analysts have come up with a few solutions to all the problems that are keeping the negotiations from concluding. As far as arbitration and the pre-arbitration pool, a good solution would just be to accept a bonus pool that would recognize the best first- or second-year players who deserve slightly more than a renewal of their contract and would receive a raise going along with it. As far as minimum salaries, analysts believe that the salary should be raised to correspond with the amount of money owners will be receiving from the collective bargaining agreement additions from this year. The expected salary would be between $700,000 and $1 million. With service time manipulation and teams tanking, there's no really good way to solve these issues without payroll floors or caps, but neither side is really prepared to agree on either of those. And finally, as far as revenue sharing and competitive balance tax goes, the players' union should just drop the request to change the revenue sharing system, as the league should raise the luxury tax significantly just to make it more evened out for everyone. So, be sure to keep a lookout on Monday to see the fate of the MLB regular season, of which, of course, I will be reporting on in the next episode of Painting the Corners. Anyway, on to this week's episode, where it's time to break down the best players from each team in the American League Central, starting with the newly named Cleveland Guardians, who, before the 2022 season, were known as the Cleveland Indians. The Guardians are one of four teams in the division that have been around for 121 seasons, and in that time, they've collected two World Series championships and an overall 5-12 win-loss record. There are three Hall of Famers that come to mind when talking about the Guardians' all-time greats, Nap Joy, Tris Speaker, and Bob Feller. Nap Joy and Tris Speaker's career numbers are actually pretty similar. The only real difference between these two was that one was an outfielder and the other was an infielder. The infielder, LeJoy, collected 3,243 hits in his career, as well as over 1,500 runs in RBIs and three batting titles and a triple crown in his 21-year career. The outfielder, Tris Speaker, had 3,514 hits in his career, 
with a 345 batting average, 1,882 runs, and 1,531 RBIs. Speaker won a batting title, an MVP award, and three World Series rings, one of which, by the way, came with Cleveland. Also, he still holds the MLB record for the most doubles hit with 792. But here's the thing. Speaker played in Cleveland for 11 of his 22 seasons in baseball. LaJoy played 13 of his 21 years there as well. Feller, on the other hand, had his entire 18-year Hall of Fame career with Cleveland. And this is why I think Feller takes the cake. Feller had a career 266 and 162 record, coupled with a very impressive 3.25 ERA. On his way to striking out 2,581 batters, Feller led all of the major leagues in innings pitched five times and collected a Triple Crown title, an ERA title, a Player of the Year award, eight All-Star Game appearances, and a World Series ring in 1948. Feller actually played six seasons in the MLB before fighting in World War II for three years, and then came back in 1945 to have 12 more incredible record-breaking seasons. Next, let's move on to the Chicago White Sox, who have also been around for 121 seasons, collecting a 503 overall win-loss percentage and three World Series championships. The best of all time from the White Sox comes down to, honestly, a very difficult decision between two pretty talented players, Luke Appling and Frank Thomas. Appling was the king of consistency up at the plate, with 2,749 hits, a 310 batting average, and a pretty impressive 399 on base percentage as well. He earned the batting title twice with the White Sox in 1936 and 1943, after recording a 388 batting average in 1936 and a 328 batting average with a 419 on base percentage just a year before he too went to fight in World War II. What's really impressive about Appling was his fielding. He is believed to be one of the best shortstops to play in the MLB as he sits in 7th place on the all-time list of putouts at shortstop with 4,398 putouts and 6th on the all-time list for assists at shortstop, with 7,218. Frank Thomas, on the other hand, was just a big powerhouse hitting machine. Thomas was just 32 hits shy of the 2,500 hit club, but he did hit 521 home runs, 448 of which came in a White Sox uniform. And... Here's a kind of interesting stat for you. As I just mentioned, Thomas hit 448 home runs in Chicago. You know how many doubles he hit in that exact same amount of time? 447. (laughs) The career 301 batting average and 419 on base percentage was plenty enough to get the Hall of Famer two MVP awards back-to-back in 1993 and 1994, four silver sluggers, a batting title, a Player of the Year award, and five All-Star Game appearances. And, in 1995, the Big Hurt even won the Home Run Derby when he hit his 15th home run in the final round to narrowly edge out Cleveland's Albert Bell. 
But you see, the only problem that I have here is that Frank Thomas was primarily a designated hitter, although he did often play at first base to great success. But I feel that because of this, I think I just have to give the best of all time honors to Luke Appling because of his fielding prowess along with his pretty consistent and terrifying presence at the plate. On to the third of the four 121 season teams, the Minnesota Twins. The Twins have won three World Series championships, but have struggled a bit more than the previous two teams overall, with a still pretty respectable 481 win-loss percentage up to this point. Two players that stand out above the rest from this team are Rod Carew and the righty Walter Johnson. Rod Carew fits well into this list as he too wasn't really known for his power, but still collected incredible numbers of hits. Carew, with his 328 career batting average, had 3,053 hits in his career, collecting just over 2,000 hits in his 12 years with the Twins. Carew also won his Rookie of the Year and MVP award with the Twins, as well as all seven of his batting titles. And did you know that Carew, in his 19-year career, went to the All-Star Game 18 times? (laughs) I would say Carew was one of the best hitters to ever play in Minnesota, without a doubt. But Walter Johnson was definitely the best pitcher, and I believe the best player, to come from the Twins. Let me read you some of his career stats. Walter won 417 games in his career and lost just 279 of them in his entire 21-year career with the Washington Senators, who later became the Minnesota Twins, back in 1961. Johnson has a career ERA of 217 and had 11 seasons with an ERA that was less than two. (laughs) That's insane. Johnson had 3,509 strikeouts, which is ninth on the all-time list, and he still holds the record for most shutouts with 110, 20 more than Pete Alexander, who sits in second place. Johnson earned five ERA titles, three Triple Crown Awards, two MVP awards, and a World Series ring in 1924 for his efforts. Walter Johnson had a knockout fastball that hit 91 miles per hour, which, by the way, was unheard of back then, and he did it all while throwing sidearm. (laughs) The Detroit Tigers are next as the fourth and final 121-season-old team in the American League Central. The Tigers have seen a lot of success as well, with four World Series championships and a 504 win-loss percentage overall. And I think it's pretty obvious who I'm going to pick for the number one player of all time from the Tigers. Of course, it has to be the all-time batting average leader, Ty Cobb. That's right. I mean, Ty Cobb finished his career with a 366 batting average, just narrowly beating out the Negro League legend Oscar Charleston, who had a 364 career batting average. Cobb played 24 years in the major leagues and still had a 366 batting average, just to kind of put that into perspective for you. But of those 24 years, 22 of them were with the Tigers, 
and never once did his batting average, for the year at least, dip below 316, save his rookie year when he only played in 41 games. You see, baseball is such a difficult sport, especially when it comes to hitting. So, expressing just how impressive getting a hit is in 36% of all of your at-bats, I mean, that is incredible what he was able to do. Cobb had 4,189 hits <laughs> in his career, good enough for second on the all-time list, beaten out by the one and only Pete Rose, who had 4,256 hits. So, a very small difference, and Pete Rose had 2,000 more bats than Cobb ever did. Cobb had over 2,200 runs and 1,944 RBIs in his long career on his way to one MVP award, one Triple Crown award, and, get this, 12 <laughs> batting titles. That's four more batting titles than anyone else has ever won, with Tony Gwynn and Honus Wagner coming in second with eight. Cobb was truly a threat at the plate in every at-bat. And finally, last but very much not least, we have the youngest team in the American League Central, the 53-season-old Kansas City Royals. Although being almost half the age of the other teams in the American League Central, the Royals have still had plenty of success in the playoffs, winning two World Series championships and an overall 479 win-loss percentage. Regardless, I feel that I have to give the best-of-all-time honors to the one true Hall of Famer from the Royals, who played on the Royals for all 21 seasons of his MLB career. George Brett, besides his incredible fielding skills on the corners of the diamond, both at first and third base, well, he was one of the greatest all-around hitters to play. Not only did Brett have 3,154 hits, but he also collected 317 home runs and a career 305 batting average. The 3,154 career hits are second most by any third baseman in the major league history, and 18th most all time, which is a pretty incredible feat for the West Virginian product. Brett earned an MVP award in 1980 and an ALCS MVP award when he hit 348 with three home runs in a series against Toronto on the way to the Royals' first World Series championship in 1985. Brett also collected a gold glove, three silver sluggers, three batting titles, 13 all-star appearances, and player of the year honors in 1985 as well. Brett made it into the Hall of Fame on his first try in 1999, collecting 98.2% of the votes. So there we go. That was a look at the best players from each team in the American League Central, headlined by Bob Feller, Luke Appling, Walter Johnson, Ty Cobb, and George Brett. Next week, we finish out this sort of series by talking about the best players from each team in the American League West, starting with the Seattle Mariners, the Texas Rangers, the Houston Astros, the Oakland Athletics, and the Los Angeles Angels. It should hopefully be an exciting conclusion, without a doubt. Thank you for listening.